your chance for writing a strategy document is not necessarily to like throw numbers at people. It's to justify why you are doing things and telling people how you're going to do them. This is the direction we want to go. You don't want to make it so detailed that you can never change direction from that again. The right level of direction in a strategy document allows people to still make choices. So it's not like you're specifying every little feature detail on it. You're just really high level telling people what we're prioritizing, which problems we're prioritizing first and why, and what are the aspects of those problems that we need to know about to be successful when we think about what solutions we're building. Hello, and welcome to an episode of Dear Melissa from the Product Thinking Podcast. The lines are now open and we're ready to answer your most pressing product questions. Which prioritization framework would you recommend and why? Hi, Melissa. Do you have any suggestions on I'm developing a product strategy? Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> That's a lot of questions. All right, let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Product Thinking Podcast. Today, we're doing a Dear Melissa, and we are diving into your questions. I just wanted to remind you that I'm answering your questions, so please submit them. Go to dearmelissa.com. We go through all of these questions every week. We pick out the ones that kind of go together, and then we answer three a week. So if you have any questions for me, please go to dearmelissa.com and submit them. It could be about anything. I will say, too, if you try to ping me on Twitter or email individually, I'm not going to answer your questions. I'm going to direct you to dearmelissa.com because I just don't have the time to answer everybody individually. So that's why I started this, hoping that we can all learn from each other. So please go there and make sure that you get all of your questions in. Today, we're going to be talking about strategy. We're going to be talking about writing strategy documents. We're going to be talking about what happens when product owns a PNL. And we're also talking about three different types of product management and what those look like in different stages of companies. So that's what we're going to kick off with. All right, first question. Dear Melissa, I don't have nearly enough experience on this, but I feel like there may be three different types of product management depending on the stage of your company, early stage, scale up, and mature. Am I right? All right, we're back and we're talking about different types of product management. You are correct, dear listener. There are different types of product management depending on your company. And it depends what the biggest push is in your company at that moment, what it needs to actually accomplish with the strategy to define how you do product management. Typically, if you're in a startup in an early stage company, it's characterized by rapid experimentation and finding product market fit. Having a long-term roadmap and a very robust strategy is not going to get you anywhere. You also don't have a ton of data to make decisions off of. You're not tracking everything in data applications and looking at user journeys because you just don't have it yet. You don't have enough capacity of people or enough volume of people online using your product to really use that to make a difference and to inform strategy. Does that mean that you shouldn't be measuring that? Absolutely not. You should be measuring that. You should be plugging that in for sure. But instead of doing data gathering and really looking through the data and calculations there, what you're going to be concentrating on is customer research. So getting in front of the customers, talking to them, watching them use your product, listening to them, doing a ton of hands-on customer research. That's the type of stuff that you do. Now, this looks different than a scale-up because when you get to scale-up stage, you have found product market fit and now you're trying to figure out what's next. Do we you know, expand geographically? Do we add another product line, another portfolio line? So your product managers in this company 
are going to be data driven. You definitely have enough data now to start making decisions. You're going to be very strategy forward. Your strategy should be easily accomplished over a period of like three to five years, I would say. And you're going to be making decisions on that strategy pretty rapidly. It may change, but it shouldn't change so much that everybody's having whiplash. It's only changing based on market conditions and what you're hearing from your customers. So when you hit scale up stage, you're definitely going to have a more defined process. You're going to still be experimental, but you'll also have a lot of people building longer term roadmaps and circulating them with your clients, circulating them with your board and communicating a long term strategy. This is also where you start to put things into practice like product operations and all these things that help us work better together as a scaling team. Those become important too. But the number one thing that your product managers need to be able to do in a scale up is make decisions rapidly based on the strategy, get things out the door, get that feedback and pivot or persevere on whatever features they're actually working on. So here we've got to start standardizing and we've got to make sure that we're all working together going in one direction. So we have to focus. There has to be really, really good focus at the scale up stage. Now contrast that to the early stage, you may be changing your strategy like every day, depending on how often you're talking to customers. When you don't have product market fit, things will change so rapidly and that's okay. That's what it's there for. As long as you're changing based on getting feedback from your customers. So it's going to be a little bit more stable in a scale up still going to be moving at like breakneck speed. You got to get things out the door. You got to be able to ship really, really fast. That's very important. Now let's look at mature companies. You found product market fit. You have a very robust portfolio out there of tons of products that people love. And now you basically have to stabilize and make sure that you can continue growing at a decent pace. We're not going at breakneck speed anymore like we are with ScaleUp, but we are adding more and more people so that we can continue to grow and continue to dominate in the market that we're in. Product management in mature companies is a little bit slower. We're not kind of changing up our strategy all the time. We may have much longer term roadmaps. We will have longer term strategies. There might not be as much experimentation going on. When you hit the scale up stage and then when you get into the mature stage, you may have more defined things that you need to accomplish. It's just a matter of getting them done. You've done the research you know what you need to be putting out there. You still need to test it, but it's not as blank space user research that we're doing. It's more of like, let's make sure this solution is the correct one to put it out there. In mature companies too, a lot of the product managers are picking up older products. They're dealing with tech debt. They're dealing with stabilization. So they need to understand how to do that for sure as well. In a mature company process and making sure that we're all working together in the same way, becomes really important. Tools are very important in a mature company, I would say scale up as well, but so we can get the information about what's going on out of them so that as leaders, we can start to keep track of 500 teams across our organization. That's really hard to do when you have absolutely no tools implemented or no way for you to get transparency into what's going on. So product management looks very different at each one of these companies. And that's why when you're hiring people too, you need to understand what you're hiring for, right? And what stage you're at. Now, there are mature companies that are launching new business lines inside of them or launching new products. In that case, you may want to hire somebody from an early stage company to help with that because they'll understand the rapid experimentation. But if you hire somebody who like thrives at product management in the early stage into a mature company, and then let's put them on the back end database that we're migrating into a new platform, they're probably going to be really bored. And that's probably not their skill set either. And that type of work is not 
experimentation driven, right? It's not uncertainty driven. It's more about get it done and make sure you get it done well. So it fits the needs of the people who are going to be consuming this new platform. So all those things you have to take into account when you go out and you start hiring product managers. Like what type of product managers are we looking for? I think a lot of mature companies can benefit from scale up product managers too, but you have to make sure that you're able to ship and deliver internally before you hire them. Can we get things out the door as a company is a really great question to ask because otherwise people are going to be bored. They're going to be sitting around like, oh, cool. I can't actually measure anything or see if people like this or adopted it because we can't ship. So I'd say fix that first and then go look for some awesome product managers who can help you deliver a lot of value to your customers. It's a quick overview of those three stages, but hopefully that helps. And I also tell people to think about what type of product management they like to do. Sometimes people gravitate towards one of those stages more often than not. I see other people gravitate towards industries, stage, type of company. It's all up to you. So it's a good thing to sit back and reflect on and say, hey, do I like one of these more than another? All right, we're going to move on to our second question. Dear Melissa, I often can construct a product vision in my head, but struggle to translate this into an articulate strategy document. Any tips on how to approach this? I love strategy documents. I think writing down your strategy and your product vision and all of this stuff is so key. And as product managers, we got to get better at writing. We got to get better at putting things down and making sure people can understand them. This is one of the number one things I look for when trying to hire a chief product officer. Can they clearly articulate their strategy? Nobody else is going to understand it. So you're all going to be going in different directions and the company will fail. So really important that you can write a fantastic strategy and explain it to people. It doesn't matter if it lives in your head. Other people have to understand what what do we do to write a strategy document? This is an exercise I used to do with all my clients when we were deploying strategy across the organization. I make people write about two pagers, depending on what level of strategy they're writing. So I've worked with a bunch of CEOs before. Sometimes it gets a little bit longer depending on how much work they've done already, but I try to keep it to two to three pages of going over what's the vision for the company, where did we come from, and where are we now in relation to that vision? What are we stopping? (laughs) What are we going to start doing? And then how do we want to prioritize our new areas for growth? Are we prioritizing tech stabilization over everything? Are we prioritizing going up market? These are the strategic intent things that I talk about a lot in our podcasts and in my classes. This is where we start to prioritize them in that document. We usually write this out and it gets pretty lengthy, but we give details. And when it gets to strategic intents, we say like, I'll give you one example. It's like, hey, I want to go into the residential rental market with X, Y, and Z product. I don't want to go into the commercial market. We're not doing that this year. Just putting those lines in the sand is so important because everybody goes, oh, okay, we won't evaluate the commercial market then. Let's not think about that yet. Not on our plate but let's figure out how to prioritize residential. And everybody starts to work together that way. So the more detail you can give, the more you can say what you're not doing is actually really beneficial for everybody. And I'd say you want to spell those out. So usually with those documents, we're looking at starting with the vision and then explaining the vision, talking about prioritization through strategic intents. And then each one of those strategic intents usually ends up being a paragraph. And then at the end, we're talking about like metrics and goals we want to hit. And ways of working, I would say, would be a good one there too. So those are kind of like the couple topics I do there. Now, let's say we're going into product initiative strategy. You're going to follow a similar format, 
But what it's going to be is really explaining the opportunity for this strategy and why we're prioritizing the things we are. So we start with the product vision. Then we are going to explain what that product vision actually means and what it doesn't mean. So when I say this, this is like, who is our persona? Same persona, different persona? Like, what's the person we're going after? Where do we find them? What are those people doing now? How do we provide value to them through this product? In what ways does it matter to the customer, the value they're actually achieving here too? So those things are incredibly important. Then I would get into, okay, in order to accomplish this product vision, here we are now, here's our current state. This is what it looks like. And this is what people can't do. We just explained where we wanted to go. So in order to reach where we want to go, this is what we have to prioritize. And then we get into what is usually our product initiatives. So first we're going to do X, Y, and Z for this persona. And then we're going to go over here and then we're going to do this eventually. And you want to set time horizons for that too. I say in the initiative level, it should probably be like six months to a year out. But this will help you explain in detail how you're prioritizing the biggest pushes to actually accomplish that initiative. So that's how I would really look at it. It's like, keep it short, keep it like two pages. I would try to keep it to two pages, honestly. Include metrics at the end, but your chance for writing a strategy document is not necessarily to like throw numbers at people. It's to justify why you are doing things and telling people how you're gonna do them. This is the direction we wanna go. You don't wanna make it so detailed that you can never change direction from that again. The right level of direction in a strategy document allows people to still make choices. So it's not like you're specifying every little feature detail on it. You're just really high level telling people what we're prioritizing, which problems we're prioritizing first and why, and what are the aspects of those problems that we need to know about to be successful when we think about what solutions we're building. So hopefully that helps you. Writing strategy documents is hard. I've worked with a lot of VPs and CPOs over the years, and it takes them, we we go back and forth for like five or six drafts before we actually circulate it. So this is not something that I expect anybody to sit down and write in, you know, an hour. (laughs) It should be a lot of your job as a leader is writing these strategy documents, articulating them, getting the research for it and putting those together. You're going to want to circulate it early with your stakeholders and with your boss and with um, any key people that will have a lot of input into it. And make sure they know it's a draft. Just say like, hey, this is a draft. Can you read it over? What am I missing? What am I not explaining? Do you understand what's going on here? And feel free to refine it until you get it right. That's the whole point of this. You just really want to take the time and spend the time on this so that you can get it right. So don't skimp. Start with a brain dump. Go back and start going through it piece by piece and making sure you're really hitting on those key components of vision, current state, prioritization of what we're going to do to get to the vision, and then explaining each one of those in great detail. All right, last question. Dear Melissa, could you share your experience of working with or consulting with product teams who own the P&L in a company? How does this impact relationships with more traditional revenue-driving teams like sales and success? Has this worked out well for the companies you've worked with? I love it when product teams own the P&L. Typically, in SaaS companies, they do own the P&L. We own the P&L in a SaaS company. If you're in an older company that has a lot of services, you won't see product directly on the P&L, but every new growth stage SaaS company out there, I guarantee you product is directly responsible for the P&L and people understand that, which is why CPOs are in such high demand right now, especially CPOs who understand finance. So how does that impact relationships with traditional revenue driving teams like sales and customer success? You all work together. I think one of the biggest issues that we look at in organizations is saying that one team is responsible for the P&L. Like, no, 
If sales can't sell anything, we're not making a profit. If customer success can't respond to people's needs effectively, they will leave. Like that directly impacts our P&L. Like, why are we separating this and saying like one team only owns a P&L? So when I talk about this with SaaS companies, like, yeah, product owns the P&L, but it's because the company is the product in SaaS companies. So all of sales, all of this stuff, it all contributes into it. Now, if you treat your executive team like, hey, we need to all work together on this, it becomes really easy. You're like, we're all contribute to this P&L. We all have our pieces to play. We see each other as a team. Those are the most successful companies that I see out there. The ones that understand like, hey, we're all in this together. I have a role to play. You have a role to play. Tech has a role to play. Marketing has a role to play as it relates to our P&L. And if we don't all get our stuff together and drive this forward, we're going to lose. Our company is going to go out of business. The ones who give P&L responsibility to just one division in the company that's where things get tricky, where we start pitting people against each other. Why doesn't the head of sales have P&L responsibility? They should. So has this worked out well for the companies you've worked with? Yeah, the ones who understand that. And the chief product officer in these SaaS companies I was talking about in the beginning, they have P&L responsibilities, but they also know that everybody else has P&L responsibilities too. Like if we can't all grow together, we're just going to go out of business. So we're tracking that, sales is tracking that, marketing is tracking that all in different ways and showing that how our different contributions help increase our profit and decrease our loss. The companies that think that one team owns all of this, no, I don't see them be successful because they don't understand that we all have to work together. Now, here, here's a different example too, I was just thinking of as well. Some larger corporations have a business line and they can operate with their own P&L on the one business line. But what they do is they put that P&L with the GM and then they have a separate sales team and a separate marketing team. And that gets a little bit confusing because it's like, how do we know how sales is prioritizing what they're doing over there for our profit and loss? If our whole company strategy doesn't have a lot to do with our business line this year and sales isn't prioritizing our selling, like that affects our profit and loss. Those types of things I just see not work out super, super well if that's how we're measuring success. You want to measure the success of each one of your business lines and product lines, but it's really hard to do that without the context of the overall company strategy, right? Like we can't just look at one business line or one product line and be like, oh, you know, that's got a great profit and loss statement over there. It's fantastic. It's like, cool. Well, was that the darling that we sold this year because it was a new product and everybody wanted to buy it? Of course, its sales are going to be fantastic. Everybody wanted it. And, you know, maybe they didn't want the old product that, Somebody got stuck with over here who owns that person who owns that PL. That's not great if the strategy is not prioritizing them. So these are the things that we I think we have to think through as an organization. I don't have like a specific right answer about it, but I would say the companies I see who are successful understand that a lot goes into PL and it's not just every product for themselves. It's about working together as a team. And it's not just about product owning it or sales owning it. It's about everybody owning it. I think it's good when P&L live close to the product because people start to recognize that product is such a game changer in the organization. But I would say don't block out your revenue driving teams like sales and success, right? Like make sure they're involved in it. Make sure they feel like they're part of the team too. See if you can build some relationships with them and incorporate them into your strategy planning and prioritization and everything like that, because it's going to go a very long way for them. And they're still getting compensated as well. Sales usually 
by the revenue that they actually drive. So you have to join at the hip with them. You have to make sure you're keeping in touch. And that's really important. So you don't want to just be like, oh, you don't own the profit and loss. Goodbye. You want to work together as a team. And I think that's the biggest thing that I could tell you is like, make sure everybody's working together and everybody's concerned about the P&L and working towards that. Product can drive P&L and it does in SaaS companies. Like it is directly responsible for your P&L in SaaS companies, but other companies too. It's a huge driver of your profit and loss and of your revenue. And the more we appreciate that and tie it back to financials, the more power people see in product as being a strategic advantage to these companies. So hopefully that helps. Like I said, don't have like a specific right answer. I think it gets nuanced with every company that I've seen about how they set up and just the dynamics of how everybody works together. But I do think one of the biggest pitfalls I see is executive teams not working together as a whole team. Like if you are pitting your executives against each other and measuring their numbers differently and being like, oh, product's better than sales and blah, 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 which I have seen. I have seen and it is toxic. It fails. It will fail and your company will fail. And I have watched that happen in real time. Something to think about too. All right, that's it for Dear Melissa this week. And again, if you have a question for me, please go to dearmelissa.com. Submit it there. I like reading your questions. I like seeing what's on your mind. It can be about anything. Also, we have a, another product operations workshop coming up through Products Labs. If you are interested in getting in on that, go to productslabs.com. And under our training, you could see the new workshop for April and you can sign up there. We're doing these very often. So if you don't see this one, if it's sold out by then, don't worry. We'll have another one coming up soon. And if you're interested in the book that Denise and I are writing, it will be out later this year. But go to productoperations.com and you can sign up to be notified when that happens. We'll see you next time.